helping to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. This is the Constitution Study on the America Out Loud Network with your host, Paul Engel. Article 6, Clause 2 of the Constitution specifies the supreme law of the land. Quoting, This Constitution and the laws of the United States which shall be made in pursuance thereof, and all treaties made or which shall be made under the authority of the United States, shall be the supreme law of the land, and the judges in every state shall be bound thereby anything in the Constitution or laws of, the, of any state to the contrary, notwithstanding. A quick look at life today shows just how unconstitutional our country has become. The Constitution clearly states that judges are bound to the Constitution, but today we say the Constitution is bound to the opinion of a judge. What does this lawlessness mean for the American people? Let's take a look today on the Constitution Study. Hello there, everyday Americans, and welcome to the Constitution Study. This is where we read and study the Constitution. We teach the rising generation to be free. I'm glad you could join me because this Supremacy Clause really is kind of the Swiss army knife for dismantling the, the corrupt federal government and, and, and for reinstating uh, the land of the free in what used to be the home of the brave. Why do I say that? What, when I teach my boot camp, um, boot camp is part of the Patriots program. You can find out more at constitutionstudy.com slash patriots. But when I look at this, I refer to this clause as the Swiss army knife because so much of the unconstitutional actions can be dismantled simply by a basic understanding of this one clause, Article 6, Clause 2. See, it clearly lists three things as the supreme law of the land. The Constitution. The Constitution of the United States is the supreme law of the land. Now, laws of the United States are only the supreme law of the land if they're made pursuant to the Constitution, meaning the laws follow the Constitution of the United States. See, not everything Congress does is constitutional. If it's not pursuant to the, to the Constitution, it's not the supreme law of the land. And in fact, according to well, let's see, Alexander Hamilton and several Supreme Court decisions, those acts are actually void. Now, it also lists treaties made or which shall be made under the authority of the United States. But the authority of the United States is established by the Constitution. Kind of read that in, in the Tenth Amendment. The power is not delegated to the United States by the by this Constitution, nor prohibited by to the states, are reserved to the states respectively, or to the people. So even the, the laws of the United States and the treaties that they sign have to be pursuant, have to follow the Constitution. The, the Constitution supersedes a law of the United States not made pursuant to it. The Constitution supersedes a, a treaty not made under an authority delegated to the United States by the Constitution. But I want to focus a bit more on this, this last piece. The judges in every state shall be bound thereby anything in the Constitution or laws of any state to the contrary notwithstanding. And this is where we're getting into a lot of trouble. You see, it, it, it's interesting. I've asked for uh, years, whenever I meet someone, a, a lawyer, a judge, someone who's gone to law school, I ask them, when you were in law school, did you study the language of the Constitution or constitutional law? I've had one man say he studied the actual language of the Constitution. Everyone else said they studied constitutional law, which is the opinion of a judge about what about the Constitution. And sadly, these opinions are often more based in their preferences than the actual language of the Constitution. But notice what we've done. 
We've made the Constitution subject to the judges rather than the other way around. We've bound the Constitution to these judges. And it leads us to um, a very lawless state because now it doesn't matter what laws you pass. You know, we, we've, we've created a supreme law, but the judges ignore it all the time. Sometimes they're, they support it. Sometimes they're against it, which means you don't know what the law is because you don't know what the opinion of any particular judge is going to be which leads us into these very convoluted and, by the way, dangerous situations. A perfect example is out of California. Uh, recently, U.S. District Judge Roger Benitez, well, he's been not agreeing with the state of California when it comes to the Second Amendment. First, he declared that the, uh, the state's large-capacity magazine ban violated the Second Amendment. It was unconstitutional. Then, just a short time later, he found their assault weapons ban also was unconstitutional and um, you know, found against the state of California. Now, why do I say this is, this is dangerous? Um, listen, I agree with Judge Bonta in this case. I'm sorry, Judge Benita in this, Benitez in this case. Um, he said, modern semi-automatic rifles like the AR-15 platform rifle are widely owned by law-abiding citizens across the nation. Other than their looks, the state calls them features or accessories, these prohibited rifles are virtually the same as other lawfully possessed rifles. They have the same minimal overall length, they use the same triggers, they have the same barrels, they can fire the same ammunition from the same magazines at the same rate of fire and at the same velocities as other rifles. What is it then that animates the state's criminalization and possession of certain rifles as assault weapons? It is that similar rifles have been used in some mass shootings and that by virtue of this law, the legislation hoped to keep these modern weapons out of the hands of mass shooters. Hey, I agree with him on that. But I have to ask you, if you are a California resident and you listen to Judge Benitez and go out and you buy yourself an AR-15 with a 30-round magazine, um, what happens when the next judge says, no, 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 that's, that's unconstitutional. That's going that that's just, that's just going too far. Are, are you sure that this is the, the way the law is and the way the law is going to be applied? Because it's not based on the actual language of the, the Constitution and the Second Amendment. It's based on a judge's opinion. The judge looks at this and says, hey, these rifles are just like other rifles. Um, they look scary, but uh, uh, they aren't more dangerous or not. And of course, even he, even listen to this, this is not because he said, listen, the Constitution said the right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. This is an infringement, therefore it's unconstitutional. He says, well, these are the functionally the same type of rifles that we see elsewhere that are perfectly legal, therefore um, it's unconstitutional. Not because the law says so, but because the judge says so. And if you get Judge Benitez this time, what happens if you get a different judge the next time? See what I mean about, you know, we, we used to be, we used to have courts of justice where the, the courts were looking for justice, for, for what is, was, is right and, and for the individual. Now, of course, we don't have, we did, then we had courts of law where it wasn't about justice, it was about what does the law say? Now we've got, you know, we've got courts of opinion. 
what's the opinion of the judge? And does this judge agree with that judge? And what happens if, if this judge and that judge disagree? Well, then we go to another judge and it's all based on the whims of individuals or small groups, right? Because sometimes it'll be a three-judge panel of a circuit court, or it might be the full circuit court, or the uh, the nine high priests in black robes in the Supreme Court. You don't know what, the, how do you know what, it, what the law is if it keeps changing based on the opinions of these judges? And it also has an interesting spinoff effect, because I saw another article making an interesting point. So you have Judge Benitez, who's a district judge in California, that very very well may impact an Illinois gun control law. You see, Illinois' state gun control law is is being challenged, and in many cases, the, 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 the governor of Illinois, Mr. Pritzker, has justified this Illinois' gun and magazine bans because, well, there were several other states that had similar bans. Again, not a question of is it constitutional. Other states have done it. Why can't I do it? Why do I have a flashback to a teenager? Everyone else is going to this party. Why can't I? That's kind of what it sounds like. Then again, I pretty much figure that um, it seems it seems emotionally or or, or in terms of, of logical thinking, uh, a lot of politicians are just overgrown children and teenagers. But think about it. Now you have a law in Tennessee. I'm sorry, law in Illinois that may be overturned because they were basing the law not on the Constitution, not on the Constitution of of the United States, not on the Constitution of Illinois, but in large part on the fact that other states have done this. And now that that one other state said that, that, a judge said that's unconstitutional, is that California judge, he's a U.S. district judge, but he's in California, is that going to have a direct impact on the uh, the case against the Illinois law? And then it can, you can't even base it on um, who the judge is. Because sometimes the same group of judges can come to completely different ideas. Uh, for example, uh, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, commonly known as the ATF, created a, lo- a rule um, that simply claimed that uh, frames and receivers are firearms. No, they didn't pass, no law was passed, uh, no legal, no, the ATF just made up a, a new rule. Uh, by the way, that's all unconstitutional. All legislative power, all lawmaking power vested in Congress, not in the executive branch. The ATF doesn't have the legal authority to create a rule that's enforceable as law, which basically redefining a device for the use of for the purpose of law is a violation of the Constitution. They're basically rewriting the law via rule. Now, does the so so this this rule got challenged? And the plaintiff said, hey, while this is legis- litigation is going on, we want a, um, uh, an injunction to prevent the ATF from enforcing this rule until the court has decided if it's legitimate or not. Went all the way to the Supreme Court. You know what the Supreme Court said? Nah, let the ATF do this. Let the ATF define this rule because now if you have these frames and receiver, the ATF can come after you, they can fine you, they can harass you for having these frames and receivers, even though the law, the rule may eventually be found to be unconstitutional. But then they, they, the Supreme Court did not just once, but twice. Only this time, um, it was Missouri's Second Amendment Preservation Act. Now, that was challenged in court. 
And the plaintiffs there said, hey, we want uh, uh, an injunction against the state of Missouri from actually enforcing this law. Now, it's interesting, which is the same court that said a federal agency that created a rule could enforce that rule while it's being litigated, turned around and said, no, um, you, you cannot enforce the Second Amendment Protection Act while this is being litigated. This, sounds, this seems very strange. This is, by the way, the same court that uh, recently decided that, hey, guess what? The Second Amendment is a right, and you have to have, you can't simply deny that right because uh, you don't like it. You have to show uh, either in the text or in the tradition of these types of, um, uh, of powers. Well, guess what? S rules creating, you know, changing the definition of, of laws is not part of the text and tradition of the Second Amendment. The uh, protection of the Second Amendment is within the, the scope. So you have a court that seems to be a bit schizophrenic. Now, maybe their decisions are based more on the details of the law and technicalities and, and how these were, were drafted. But again, imagine you are a, a, a gun owner. You, you wish to be able to protect yourself. Why? Well, let's see. There was a recent attack on Israel by Hamas. Now, I don't. We're not expecting that level of attack, but we, they have they have caught what 170 people on the terror watch list crossing the southern border. These are the ones they caught. Is it possible we'd have something like that to, uh, here in America in the not too distant future? What about just the, the 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 plain crazies and criminals we already have in this country? We want to, to be able to defend ourselves against these. And we have states that say, no, 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 you depend on the police. We will protect you. Uh, no, that's not the way this works, ladies and gentlemen. But your rights, whether they are protected or not, is no longer a question of what does the Constitution say. It's how does a judge feel on any particular day? How do they feel about that particular rule or regulation or law or, or anything else? Again, if you happen to be in the right district, if you happen to catch the right uh, the right judge, maybe your rights will be protected after you've been harassed by uh, maybe city, state, county officials for a period of time and gone through the, the trials and expense of an actual, oh, I don't know, court case. Maybe they'll protect your rights for however many years it takes to go through all the appeals process. Then again, maybe not. See, that's why we are supposed to be a, a land of laws, not of men. But we've turned it into a, law, a, a land of men and women in black robes versus a nation of laws. And that speaks very ill for not just your right to keep and bear arms, but for all of your rights. Think about it. What right can you trust in if you don't know how the courts are going to opine? If you don't know if they're going to follow the actual language of the law, if they're simply going to follow their preference, their opinion, if the supreme law of the land is no longer the supreme law of the land, can you trust any of the laws of the land, of the state, any of them? Now, I want to take a look at the after effects of some of these and, and uh, you know, not simply the, the court cases, but what happens afterwards. And, but I have to take a break first. Before I go, though, again, please head to the website, constitutionstudy.com, to where you find all the, the work that we're doing here. I've created a news feed 
So you can check out the news that I find interesting on the website. Uh, you can find the interviews I'm participating in, as well as the radio program. All of it's there at constitutionstudy.com. Of course, you can always ask a question. I'm always looking for, pe- for people's questions to answer them here. This is, this is meant to be educational. This is meant to be a, a discussion. So if you have a question, please ask it. I'll be more than happy to uh, try to get that question answered right here on the radio. Just check that little box. Also, please check out the Patriots program. I mentioned the boot camp. The boot camp's free. It's a one-hour video. If you pass the boot camp, um, then uh, um, you'll get an invitation to join the Patriots program that we're working to help other Patriot groups and other organizations defend their rights and do the constitutional work that they're trying to do. Now, if that sounds like a lot of work, well, it's for some of us it is, which means it's crucial that we get a good night's sleep if we're going to remain healthy. Now, uh, hormonal supplements like like melatonin can actually help in the short term, but they can disrupt your hormone system. They can cause some long-term issues with your wake-sleep cycle. At least that's what the experts at the wellness company are telling me. See, they've come up with a, a natural solution to the problem. It's called restful sleep. It's designed to calm your mind, to reduce stress, so you can get a, a better, more restful night's sleep, all without hormones or or any other chemical any other chemicals now it's gluten-free vegetarian manufactured right here in the good old us of a it's backed by documented research and vetted by the medical board of the wellness company now since you're an america out loud listener you can get 25 percent off of their products and offer your first month membership if you use the code out loud Find out more at americaoutloud.shop, but please go to twc.health, check out their products, check out their membership. Just make sure you use the code out loud at checkout. It lets them know you listen to America Out Loud. There's a thank you. Well, you get 25% off your products and off your first month of membership. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. The Wellness Company's chief medical board designed every supplement and medical protocol with your health in mind. From groundbreaking supplements like the Spike Support Formula to unique care like Freedom from Big Pharma. Join a healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interest of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be, with a company that shares your values. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, and sleep deep. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code out loud. Lean, pure, with premium ingredients. Global Healing's Pure Plant Protein offers 20 grams of protein per scoop, and it's a perfect way to maintain and build lean muscle while indulging yourself. It combines enzymes and probiotics to maximize nutrient absorption 
improving digestion and your gut health. Available in vanilla and chocolate flavors, elevate your protein consumption while supporting your overall wellness with pure plant protein. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Welcome back, Everyday Americans. You've rejoined the Constitution study. So glad you could join us here. You know, we're looking at the consequences of judicial supremacy. And uh, sometimes the consequences aren't direct. Sometimes the consequences are um, policies and laws that people put in place that are not uh, uh, dealt with in the in the judicial branch. And that, that often has consequences. The first segment, we talked a lot about um, the Second Amendment and uh, uh, gun control laws. The question is, we talked about the constitutionality, but have we considered the consequences of these laws? Uh, for example, uh, Governor Newsom and, and actually a bunch of uh, gun control activists have been uh, claiming that eight out of the 10 top murder states are red. In other words, they're controlled by Republicans. Um, in fact, uh, uh, the, the George Soros and others have uh, claimed that the murder rates have been rising fastest in Republican states uh, led by, uh, by uh, tough-on-crime politicians. Well, you know what I like to say here, right? There's three types of lies, lies, darn lies, and statistics. See, what I find interesting is both Governor Newsom and Soros and his uh, and his those he supports point to states that are governed by Republicans. But is the murder rate the problem in the states, or is it something else? See, the, the Heritage Foundation recently released a report that uh, kind of contradicts these claims. You see, while it may be true that the, the, the homicide rates are higher in, in certain red states than blue states, but it ignores the fact that those murder rates are hyper-localized. They are almost completely concentrated in Democrat-run cities. In fact, they actually focus on counties in, in their report. So according to the report, uh, during uh, the, from 2014 to 2020, the average homicide rate in uh, states that voted for Trump was 6.48 uh, per 100,000, and Biden was 4.83. Okay, but if you look at the counties, the number of counties, the counties that voted for Trump was 4.06 per 100,000 versus Biden at 6.52 per 100,000. Now, how can that be? Well, I can explain it very easily. Now, I live in Tennessee, um, and I'll tell you, the, the murder rates in Tennessee, murders are focused primarily in Memphis, Nashville, and so, not Knoxville. I, I believe it's even in that order. Memphis, Nashville, and Knoxville are the top three counties. The counties surrounding those cities are the ones with the highest uh, homicide rate. All those counties voted Democrat. They lean heavily Democrat, even though the rest of the state leans heavily Republican. So uh, I guess you could say in many cases, these, a state like Tennessee is being tarred with the uh, uh, with the image from these democratically controlled counties. Back when I lived in New York, it was the same thing. I lived in a rural county in New York. We had an extremely low, mur murder was almost unheard of in, in our county. Uh, but 
again, we get lumped in with New York City, where the murder rate is very high. Um, we get painted with, uh, with, with their brush. And speaking of New York, remember when I lived in New York, um, if you lived outside of New York City, you could get a carry permit. It was difficult. It was hard, but you could get one that was valid everywhere in the state except New York City, except the five boroughs of New York City, which had the highest murder rate in the entire state. I mean, not even close, higher than Albany, Rochester, Buffalo. Um, so we have to be careful how we look at this data. But again, a lot of this comes down to, okay, what does it have to do with the with the judges? Well, guess what? Judges in those states, judges in many in in those areas, have said, yeah, we you know the Constitution says shall not be infringed. But that really was for the militia, even though it doesn't say that. They've put their own opinion above the supreme law of the land. Even in the case of New York, going so far as when the Supreme Court said, hey, your May issue policy is uh, is unconstitutional. They said, fine, we'll issue licenses. We'll just take away pretty much every place you can carry. We'll make them uh, uh, was a special areas or that th that we can you, we can deny you the ability to carry here. You can carry just not anywhere of significance. And of course, another uh, a policy that that has come across. Now, this is policy, not necessarily a court case. Um, has been the the district attorneys that have decided not to prosecute certain crimes. Or I should say they'll only prosecute certain crimes, right? Petty things like, you know, stealing a a thousand dollars worth of, of stuff, no, we're not gonna we're not gonna charge you with that. Um, but you know, hey, using the wrong pronouns or or demonstrating against the wrong thing, we'll go after you for that. Well guess what that leads to? Yeah. That leads to not simply crime, but explosions of crime. In fact, crime in the District of Columbia has become so bad that the Sergeant of Arms of the Senate has told staff not to assist broken down drivers. The Sergeant at Arms has issued a safety bulletin to all Senate staff members saying, don't stop to assist a stranger because they're having a, a surgeon in carjackings. Why? Well, because they haven't been prosecuting carjackings. At least that's my opinion of it. So this placing of the opinion, again, not simply of, of judges, but in many cases, the, the, the opinion of politicians, um, leads to some very dangerous situations. For example, in Oregon. Now, Oregon, I, I'm not familiar with Oregon's. I know, I believe, has a fairly restrictive gun control policy. And that's going to make sense in just a second. See, we've been seeing these, these free Palestine marches uh, in, in certain areas across the country. And uh, listen, they have the right to express themselves. As long as they're peaceful, I have no problem with it. Um, but you see, there was a problem, I believe it was in, in Eugene, Oregon, uh, back on October 21st. You see, there were one of these, again, pro-Palestinian uh, um, rallies in Eugene. And uh, apparently somebody decided that they were going to take a paintball gun and they started shooting into the crowd. Now, to me, that's not a smart thing to do. In fact, to me, they, that person probably should be uh, arrested, charged and tried for that. But they took a spatter of a paintball gun and shot it into the crowd. And these protesters, they drew weapons in response. 
Now, again, I don't have a problem with these protesters being armed. <laughs> they were the target of what could easily have been a life-threatening attack. Right? They were, you know, a, a, a spatterball gun stings, a paintball gun stings, but it could just as easily have been uh, something much more serious. So when they were being shot at by these paintball guns, they, understandably, they drew their weapons. And I don't blame them for drawing their weapons. Now, the Eugene Police Department stepped in. They disarmed the situation. They de-escalated the situation, which is good. I'm glad, I'm glad they did that. I'm glad no one started shooting. But can you see how a situation like that is a tinderbox? It could easily have escalated out of control. And since if you look at the actual recent history, it's been the, uh, oh, I don't know, the, the, Pal the Hamas supporter, the Palestinian supporter. These are the groups that have tended to be more violent, more aggravated. And of course, you've got BLM and Antifa and these other groups. Um, if we, since we never charged the uh, Antifa and BLM rioters, you know, the arsonists, um, the vandals, since few, if any of them, were even charged, they have no reason to believe they'll be charged again. What do you think would happen if the uh, if this group of Palestinian supporters, um, what if they were Antifa or BLM, or what if they just had Antifa and BLM people in their midst? It could easily have erupted in something, something very dangerous. Now, again, I don't have a problem with this group having their little rally, right? We believe, I believe in freedom of speech. I believe in the right to peaceably assemble. As long as they are peaceably assembling, they can say what they want. Um, I find it, I find what they support vile, but the reason I want them to say it is so that we know who they are. But this could easily have quickly and easily gotten out of control. And Again, part of the reason is this, this judicial system that is inconsistent, that goes after one group of people for doing something and ignores another group of people that do the exactly the same thing or gives them slaps on the wrists. And this uh, double standard, uh, we see it everywhere. As I mentioned, in, in the state of New York, um, uh, the after the Bruin decision, they, you know, they said, well, all right, we'll give you, we'll give you a permits. We just will strictly regulate where and how you can use them. One of the things they did was ban body armor. Now, again, I used to live in New York city. Uh, I, I haven't for many, many, many decades. New York city can be a dangerous place to live. Certain neighborhoods in New York city can be, can be very, very dangerous. And, um, uh, you, you, Ms. Hochul in the state legislature said, nope, nope. Um, most people, you're not allowed to have body armor. And uh, you can't buy it online. You have to buy it in person. And uh, for the clownish reason of, well, then the bad guys won't get it. Kind of forgetting that means it also means the good guys can't get it. But before we go there, you know, Ms. Hochul recently made a taxpayer-funded trip to Israel. I I don't know. Does she want to go show her support for Israel? Um, New York has a uh, a large, especially New York City, has a large Jewish community. Maybe that's the case. I don't know. But I found it interesting that this governor who said, 
if you live in a really bad neighborhood, you're not allowed to have body armor. When she went to Israel, <laughs> sure, body armor. The very body armor that she and her policies and, and the legislation state prevent people from using within her state, she used in Israel. Now, okay, Israel is currently at war. Uh, so I, I, I think there's a little bit of gotcha to this particular reporting. You know, Israel currently is in a state of war. Um, but if she thinks body armor isn't effective, why is she wearing it? If it is effective, why is she denying it to the citizens of her state? I would think if she's worried about people carrying guns and shooting others, having a method of defense that doesn't require shooting back would be something she would like. If she's worried that, uh, you know, should, should a, a, an innocent person fire back at a, at a, um, at a criminal attacking them might harm someone else, wouldn't having body armor be a way of, of dealing with that? But you see, we're not dealing with what does a law, what does the Supreme Law, what does a law say? We, and you say, well, Paul, this is body armor. That doesn't fall in the Second Amendment. Au contraire. You see, when they talk about arms, I go back to Webster's 1828 Dictionary, which says that arms are weapons of offense or armor for defense and protection of the body. So when they talk about the right to keep and bear arms, they're not simply talking about firearms. They're not talking simply talking about swords and, and mace. They're also talking about armor for defense, things you can wear for defense. But you see, we have judges say, no, 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 see, armor is not arms. And therefore we get away with, with this. I'm not saying I'm not saying that everybody in New York should be allowed to walk around, or I should be. I'm not saying everybody in New York needs to walk around in body armor. But if you feel the need to wear body armor, shouldn't you be allowed to wear body armor? That is for defense and protection of your body. But since again we have judges that ignore the actual language of the Constitution, the definitions that were in place at the time when the Second Amendment was passed. We have this system where uh, if you're the right person, if you have the right connections, if you know the right people, well, then you get to protect yourself with body armor. But if you don't, well, tough luck. You see, the fact that most Americans don't realize that judges have no, no power, as, as Alexander Hamilton said in Federal 48, they have neither force nor will, only judgment. Our lack of that understanding um, has left us in a precarious situation where we're ruled by the opinions of men and women and not by the actual laws that they pass or the laws that we have passed to restrain their actions. A law is meaningless unless it is enforced. And uh, right now, we're not enforcing the laws. We're enforcing the opinions. And again, I believe that leaves us in an extremely dangerous situation. Now, one of the interesting things about this, this judicial supremacy is it seems people are often ruled by their emotions. And that, uh, that can lead you into pretty bad places as well. And I have some examples I want to look at. But before I do that, I need to take another break. Before I go, though, you know, I want to remind you that you know, I get my information from a lot of places. On average, I'm reading about six to eight hundred headlines a day. 
looking for content, both for the radio program and the website. And, um, you know, one of the places I go every day is AmericaOutloud.news. I recommend you do the same thing. See, it's more important than ever that we get information from different sources. Um, we spent decades with our, our news curated for us. We were told what, we needed, what people thought we needed to know. It's time we break that mold. And AmericaOutloud.news is at the forefront of giving you messages from either side, the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say. And rather than, than simply enjoying that, I'm going to ask you to share. See, we talk about things like the blessings of liberty, our, our freedom of speech, our freedom of press, our, our right to keep and bear arms, our right to be secure from unreasonable searches. They only exist as long as people know about them and know how to exercise them. So do me a favor, go to americaoutloud.news, find the stories, the articles, the podcasts, the videos that talk to you, that you think are important, that catch your attention, and share them. See, if we wish to secure the blessings of liberty, we need other people as well to know the rest of the story. I'm so confused. I don't know what to do. I'm afraid of going to the hospital. My doctor tells me nutrition doesn't work. Trust is earned. We are the Energetic Health Institute, and we want to earn your trust. Natural medicine, holistic nutrition, detoxification, fasting, cellular healing, and so much more. Remember, the best way to be free is to be healthy. So stop being a patient and start being a student at energetichealthinstitute.org. How can you improve your odds of staying healthy? The answer is stay healthy with Cofix Rx. Who's got time for a cold, strep, a flu, HRV, RSV, or COVID anyhow? Cofix has some great news. Besides being featured as a top five product in the drugstore news, we completed the protocol that you've heard Dr. McCullough talk about. Cofix Rx is already famous for a powerful virus-hostile nasal solution, and now we have a throat spray too. Crush those nasty germs before they become a problem. With known antiviral support ingredients like povidone iodine, xylitol, and vitamin D3, you can feel a little safer. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order, you'll receive 25% off the entire purchase. Just click the Cofix RX banner on the America Out Loud website or store. Be sure to use promo code OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Don't forget, OUTLOUD25 at checkout. AmericaOutloud.news is beaten to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, troubled, misled, joyful, and thankful. We know you because we are you. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. Welcome back, Everyday Americans. You rejoin the Constitution study. Today we're talking about the consequences of judicial supremacy. As I alluded to as we were heading into the break, the thing about laws is not only are they written down, but hopefully they're considered, they're debated. People take the time to craft them. 
to consider the possibilities, the alternative. Now, I'm not saying that happens all the time. Um, in fact, nowadays, it seems to be fairly rare, but it, it, it is a slower, more methodical process for a reason. And the problem with judicial opinions is they can often, like, well, pretty much like anyone else, they can be, um, they can clouded by emotion. And that emotion uh, can lead even good people with, with honest intentions to make some bad decisions. Decisions, hopefully, that they, they one day regret if they're bad. But we have a, a, an excellent example. We are watching that unfold, not simply in, in Israel and, and Gaza, but in the reactions we're seeing here at home. See, I, I point out here that you know many of the problems we see in D.C. didn't originate in D.C. They originate with us. The people we point fingers at and complain, well, they represent other people. Other people, sometimes we, we the people um, elected them. We chose them to represent us. Therefore, even though they may not represent what we want, we've chosen them to be our representatives, which means they're what the world sees. Now, what brought this to mind was a, a recent paper, a recent article by the Federalists, with the title, Not All Palestinians Are Hamas, But Hamas Does Represent the Palestinians. You see, it, it's the, the, if we try to weed the emotion out and we look at what's going on, I think it was back in 2000, was it 2003? Uh, maybe it was a little later, when Gaza became an independent Palestinian state. And people talk about you know a free Gaza, a free Palestine. There is one. It's called Gaza. And they chose leaders. They chose people to delete them, and the people they chose were Hamas. So we have to look at this in a couple different ways. Are there people? in Gaza that support Hamas. I'm, yes, I, I would say that is true. Are there people in Gaza who are, do not promote Hamas? Uh, they believe what they're doing is evil. Probably. But part of the problem we run into is when we make an emotional reaction, when we choose people based on emotion, as I believe many of the Gazans did, um, we sometimes have to suffer some fairly serious consequences. And it's why not only do we need laws that are, are stable and thoughtfully made, but the reason the Constitution takes so long to amend is to allow time for people to consider the rest of the story. There's a reason why, uh, although a lot of states, you can have a, a ballot initiative initiative to amend the Constitution. We don't do that with the Constitution of the United States. An amendment must be proposed either by Congress or by a convention of states. And that, that, uh, that proposal must then be agreed to, adopted, ratified by either the legislature of three-fourths of the states or conventions in three-fourths of the states. It means it takes time. Time, hopefully, to remove some of the emotion from this. Also, time to gather information. Now, um, I remember when the, uh, the I first heard the report that uh, a, a hospital in Gaza had been 
destroyed, it had been bombed, and that it was uh, the Israel, Israeli Defense Forces that did so. And of course, I could have run right out here and, and jumped on and, and recorded an episode decrying this and um, pushed it to the top of the list, but I didn't. There's a reason why this program is not a news program. Uh, uh, we're not looking for the latest news. We're looking to analyze the news, which requires time and thought. Now, hopefully, if, even with time and thought, sometimes I'm going to get things wrong, and I would hope that if and when I do, well, I'd have the character to admit it. Sadly, that doesn't seem to be the situation we're dealing with uh, in the case of uh, Representative, uh, Representative Rashida Tlaib and, and, and Elon Omar. Now, both of them continue to post tweets. Both of them continue to claim that Israel bombed a, a hospital in Gaza City. It's interesting. I've even had people tell me, claim me, as, uh, you know, not that long ago, that Israel bombed the hospital. Now, what's interesting is, all right, well, let's look at the, at, at the video. Yeah, there's actually video of it. There are photographs. The hotel, the, I'm sorry, the hospital still stands. It, it was not bombed. There's video of a rocket being launched, malfunctioning, and landing in the parking lot near the hospital. There's evidence. Now, I would hope an honest person would see that evidence saying, you know what? I was wrong. I was um, miss. I, I didn't have all the facts. Okay, Israel didn't do this, but it's still, you know, sad that people died in this in this incident. But okay, it was we don't see that. We see a granted a small group of people that keep doubling down on the claims that Israeli bombed a hospital in Gaza, even though they didn't. And because and and, and they're spreading that information, and I don't begrudge them to write to freely express that point of view. That's their point of view. They can tweet it. They can post it. They can say it. I don't deny them that. See, it's our responsibility to listen to that and find out if it's true. The problem is we tend to react based on emotion. And I'm seeing plenty of people reacting on the emotion of the event rather than the, the facts and the data. Now, that also means there's going to be emotion on the other side. Uh, for example, Marjorie Taylor Greene has introduced a resolution to, uh, to censure uh, Ms. Tlaib, uh, accusing her of, uh, uh, of anti-Semitic activity and sympathizing with terrorist organizations. Now, me... Um, I have kind of a love-hate relationship with Ms. Taylor Greene uh, because she's one of the few people in Congress that seems to be actually uh, creating articles of impeachment and, and uh, uh, resolutions of censure. Uh, she shows back. I don't think she does a very good job of them. I think the ones that I've seen written are um, much more political than actually uh, um, uh, governing, uh, you know, reason thought out. So let's take a look at this resolution. Uh, she states, whereas 
In May 2019, Rashida Tlaib said that she celebrated the Holocaust and felt a calming feeling when thinking about genocide of millions of Jews. Whereas in 2020, Rashida Tlaib retweeted an illustration with the caption, From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. And this Palestinian Liberation Organization slogan has been adopted by Hamas and calls for elimination of Israel and the death of the Jews. Whereas in 2022, Rashida Tlaib, as a member of Congressional Progressive Caucus, displayed her disdain for Israel, saying, you cannot claim to hold progressive values, yet back Israel's apartheid government. Now, she goes on with some other uh, examples, other reasons behind her resolution, but there's one other I want you to consider. Whereas Rashida Tlaib led an insurrection at the United States Capitol complex on October 18, 2023, which put members of Congress, their staffs, Capitol visitors in danger by shutting down elevators, stairwells, and points of egress while obstructing official business in both the House of Representatives and the Senate, including the Senate Foreign Affairs Committee hearing. Here we see uh, something, I believe, worthy of censure. Now, again, is there evidence? This is simply a claim that she, that Ms. Tlaib, organized this. And what does Ms. Taylor Greene want in response? Well, resolved that the Representative Rashida Tlaib be censured. Representative Rashida Tlaib forthwith present herself in the well of the House of Representatives for the pronouncement of censure. Representative Rashida Tlaib be censured with the public reading of this resolution by the Speaker. And the House of Representatives condemns the support for terrorist organizations. Okay, it's basically a verbal slap on the wrist. Um, but based on the way this is worded, uh, there's some stuff in here I'm like, okay. Um, there's some stuff where, uh, basically, uh, Ms. Taylor Green wants to punish, um, Ms. Tlaib for simply having an opinion she disagrees with. Now, if there is evidence that Ms. Tlaib actually led the insurrection, actually helped promote the insurrection, that's something different, all right? That's, that's a step too far. And I think we need to hopefully divest some of the, the, um, the emotions on both sides and look at the, the actual facts and data um, rather than jumping to, uh, gee, I hate Rashida Tlaib because she holds these positions, therefore censure is great. Or, no, Rashida Tlaib is great. She, I hate the, the, the Zionists. And um, the last thing we should do is, um, <laughs> is, is censure Ms. Tlaib for telling the truth. You see, I believe there should be consequences for the positions we hold, but I'm reticent to have government be the one issuing those 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 consequences, which is why I look at them saying, of the list of abominable things that uh, Ms. Tlaib, I believe, has said, the one place I see logic for censure is the, the insurrection, if there can be evidence brought uh, during the debate that shows that. See, I'm much more interested in having the people censure. I mean, I keep looking at this going, okay, um, if this, if Ms. Tlaib, if what she's expressed is what she's done and said represents the opinions of her, the majority of her constituents, isn't that the representation that she's bringing to the House? I know. I think it's abysmal. I bet you, I would be surprised if most of you didn't think it was, a, but if she is representing the beliefs of the majority of the people she represents, isn't that her job? Now, I'm much happier to see when private parties deal with this. Um, well, for example, I've already reported that 
universities like Harvard and the University of Pennsylvania have had, um, let's just say, some surprising response to the Hamas attacks. Student groups, faculty groups blaming Israel for being attacked by Hamas. And, but there's been an interesting consequence that's come of that, and that is some of their supporters, some of the very wealthy supporters, have pulled their support from the schools because they are, um, they're funding these demonstrations. They are uh, blacklisting, uh, or I should say, they, they are promoting these groups. Uh, and uh, the, these, these donors said, you know what? We're not gonna. We're gonna pull their funding from the school. Some of them has gone so far as to blacklist students from job opportunities. Uh, there was a judge that said he would not uh, entertain as a clerk any student that was uh, part of these uh, um, of these demonstrations or promoted these ideas. So there is a way to push back and push back. I believe properly. But the reason I I bundled this in with the judicial supremacy is it's gone from here's the law to here's the opinion of a judge and now we have more and more people to say my opinions become law we want to treat you know there are more and more people i encounter seem to want to treat their opinions as if they are law uh they're not this is one of the things we treat we uh, teach in the patriots boot camp that uh, just because someone has an opinion, it's only an opinion until there's proof. And by the way, expert opinions are still opinions. They still have to provide proof. It's this moving from the letter of the law to the opinion of a judge down to the, well, the, to the opinion of others. There are students complaining that they've lost job opportunities because of the positions that they hold, as if it's unfair to punish them for holding those positions as if it's as if there are no consequences for the acts that you perform and i think this is a dangerous this dangerous situation so if that's the case how do we get away from this um a, a country of men rather than of laws well the first thing is to understand some basic fundamental facts about the law so why i start out with the supremacy clause just because uh, the Biden administration says, uh, you know, we support Israel or we support the Palestinians, doesn't make it law. Just because a, uh, a Rashida Tlaib or an Ilan Omar claims that uh, this is how we're supposed to, doesn't make it law. Once we understand that just because a judge says so does not make it law. Judges don't make law, they offer opinions. They make decisions. They, they are not law, they're not the supreme law of the land. I've already shown that in the Supremacy Clause. And that basic understanding, that most fundamental understanding, that laws are made by Congress, that uh, if those laws are not pursuant to the, to the Constitution of the United States, those laws are invalid, they're void. That that understanding and, and the willingness to live by that understanding, I believe, is how we, the people, remain free. It takes bravery to do that. People aren't going to do that simply because um, someone said so. It takes spine. It, it takes courage to stand. And it takes a willingness to put yourself at risk. 
You know, when they signed the Declaration of Independence, the, the, the signers said they pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to that document, that idea of independence. What are you willing to pledge to exercise your rights, to maintain your rights and those of your children and grandchildren? Will you pledge your life? Will you live that way? Will you pledge your, your fortune? Will you support organizations that are, are upholding these rights? Will you, will you, on your honor, do what is constitutional rather than what is easy? That's the, bra the land of the brave. I should say the home of the brave. And if we want to be the land of the free, we have to once again become the home of the brave. Now, I hope you're brave enough to come back and join us for the Constitution Study every weekday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time on America Out Loud Talk Radio, heard on the iHeartRadio Network. All the episodes go to podcasts generally a day or two after they're heard on talk radio. You can listen in your favorite podcast app, but please subscribe to the show. Leave us ratings and reviews, especially on Apple. It helps people find the Constitution Study. You can find all the links you need at the homepage at americaoutloud.news. But as always, please share them. By sharing this information, you're not simply sharing the Constitution Study. You're helping to share the blessings of liberty. <laughs>